can have you here. Lord has uh, really, really worked and put his hand on your, on your body here. Um, 1 Peter chapter 3. Thank you for those who filled in this morning musically. Uh, we had folks who had to unexpectedly go out of town and others who are sick. And so it's amazing all the, all the talents that the Lord uh, gives us. And people are willing to use those, use those talents uh, for his glory. First uh, Peter chapter 3, verses 1 through 7. Um, much of our learning comes in the way of, of imitation, doesn't it? Uh, grandparents, you might have a sp- particularly delightful time uh, watching your grandkids pick up things, pick up new skills, pick up new words as they grow up as well. And obviously, the principle is true. If we imitate the best models, we become better and better achievers. And we imitate the wrong models, it'll cripple our lives. And 1 Corinthians 15 tells us that bad company corrupts good manners. It can ruin our characters. And so the models that we follow influence us in every area of life. And we are bombarded by media and models all over the place. But the Word of God tells us to look to one who is ultimately the model and then those who are in line with this one who is our model, Lord Jesus Christ. As we get into our text and our passage, I want us to understand that this really began in chapter 2, um, and uh, this is a continuation of what um, is called household codes. The way that the, the Word of God and the obedience of it is to be lived out uh, in lives uh, with masters and uh, those who serve them uh, in government, and now he's getting to the specific realm of, of marriages here. And in chapter 2 and verse 9, remember he has described the church as in verse 9, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a peculiar or uh, God's own unique people that you should show forth the praises of him who has called him out of darkness into his marvelous light, which in time past were not a people, but are now the people of God, quoting from Hosea, which had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So God's people, who he, has, who he has bought with His precious blood, are to show forth the goodness of God. The delights of His mercy to them. And we began last two weeks ago, in verse, and we went through uh, verse 11, through verse 25 here, of now Peter's going to take that by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and he's going to now bear it on to everyday life. He's going to take that wheel, that spinning, that sharpening wheel, and he's going to press it down and see some uh, some, uh, 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 polishing happen here. And so he said in verse 11, Dearly beloved, I urge, I beg of you, I beseech you, as strangers and pilgrims, as those who he said in chapter 1, verse 1, who were exiles and strangers, who are living in Babylon, in this way, living in a, in a hostile environment here. Abstain from fleshly lust, which war against the soul. So there's a negative command. And then in verse 12, here's the positive. Having your conduct, your manner of life, honest among the Gentiles, among the unbelievers, that whereas they may speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works, which they shall behold, Glorify God in the day of visitation. That's the setting for this. That's what he's desiring to see happen. That our lives are in line with what we've been called to. There is, there is, a, there is a gospel message that has saved us, and then there is a life that is to be in line with that gospel message. That's all throughout the New Testament. 
Ephesians 1-3 through talks about the spiritual blessings that we have in the Lord Jesus Christ and the Father and the Spirit. And then chapter 4 says, walk worthy now of this calling. Titus talks about the, the gospel of Jesus Christ in Titus chapter 3 and, and Titus chapter 2. He says, adorn the gospel with your manner of living. Paul tells the Philippians of Philippians chapter 1, he tells them about the good news of Jesus and our lives being found in Christ. And then he says, live in line with the gospel. And chapter 127, again, walk worthy of this calling. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul has to confront Peter, has resorted into legalism. And Paul has to tell him in Galatians chapter 2 that you are to live in line with the gospel. In other words, there's not supposed to be a divide between our lips and our lives. There's not supposed to be a divide between our word and deed. These are things that are paired together here. And one of it, well, a part of it is proclamation of the gospel in our words, and the other part of it is the affirmation that this gospel is true and works in our hearts. That as we sang today, and all I have is Christ, that the power to follow Jesus, we are to display in our lives that the power to follow Jesus does not come from within me. It has come from above, through Jesus. And Peter has laid that out in their, in their relationships with uh, unbelievers, with relationship to authority and governors, relationship to those who they might serve um, and, and, their, uh, and their work. And now he will bring this now into our marriage Relationship, And you notice he says in verse one, 3, verse 1, likewise. It means in the same manner. In like manner. In like manner as who? Well, who is the preceding verses about? The Lord Jesus. The Lord Jesus. When He was reviled, He reviled not again. Right? The example of Jesus Christ, chapter 2, 21 through 25. And so, this, and He's going to say the same thing to husbands in verse 7. Likewise, in the same manner. So the idea is, get your life in sync with Jesus Christ. He lives in you. Christ is in you. So now live out of that. There's a distinctive behavior that comes in the design of wives and husbands here. So likewise, in the same way, this, this whole pattern here, the life of being a pilgrim, a stranger in this world, uh, uh, will, will, will cause the unbelievers to have an unavoidable contact with Jesus. And isn't that what we want? Unavoidable contact with Jesus. Ephesians chapter 5 from Paul, of course, is the other well-known marriage passage and it forms the framework. And in this passage here on the household and Peter, he's tying those ideas together with some additional insights about what the spirit behind it is. And together those two passages form a very complete picture of what God desires for his disciples in marriage and its beauty. And Peter's focusing on the spirit of the marriage, looking closely under the layers at the heart here of God's design for marriage relationships. The beauty of the proper spirit of a wife toward her husband, whether he be a believer or not. And the husband's spirit toward his wife, assuming the husband is a believer. Because did you know that it's possible to understand the overall framework, the design for marriage, and yet miss the heart of it? The spirit of it? It happens all the time, doesn't it? Submission and authority has been really abused in many, time, many times. But Christ's design is to, is to establish an order here in our homes that builds Christ's church. Beautiful marriages in our households that reflect the beauty of God's peace and wisdom that comes through the good news of the gospel. 
So the world sees with curiosity. And we build up the family of God for Christ's glory. And so there's some inner elements here of design that are in contrast in the way we respond in our marriages here with culture. And God gives a power because of what He said in verse 21 through 25 of chapter 2. He bore ourself, He Himself bore our sins in His own body on the tree that we being dead to sins might what? Live to righteousness. Okay, here's one way in our families how to live to righteousness by whose stripes you are healed, right? All of us bring into our marriages, those who are married, we bring into our marriages things from our own parents, don't we? Patterns, observations, etc. Lacking things that were um, uh, very uh, uh, fulfilling and things that were lacking um, because we grow up in, 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 in a broken world. And Peter says, okay, it doesn't matter whether your parents had a wonderful marriage or your parents had a poor marriage or a lack of a marriage here. This is what it means to now live in righteousness. So take these instructions here by the power of God and apply them to their lives. Now, God God gives the wife in this passage a power to display Christ. And in verse 7, to the husband, a power to display Christ. Christ. That's the heart of the matter here. That's the that's the that's the that's the idea behind this here. There's a there's a, um, uh, a tendency in our hearts to want to hear. Okay, tell me of what I how I what I what I'm to do. Give me some checklists here, some things that I'm to do so that I can have a better marriage. And there's nothing wrong with that. But I want you to understand that the thrust of this passage is more of what I am to be. That flows out now into my doing. Okay? Because it's the heart that dictates the action. So this is more about what I am to be and how to thrive in Babylon. Ultimately, this passage isn't not, is not about how to have a good marriage. Ultimately. But it is how, listen to this, it is how to proclaim the goodness of God in your marriage. There's a slight difference there. Now, it's true that God wants good marriages. And this passage can be a a true blessing in regard to that. But the scope of this is is that women matter to God. They are key. God cares. And women are essential to the plans that God has here to rescue the world. Including, He may even use you to rescue your husband. And husbands, He may use you to display His gospel, His goodness, His kindness to you in Christ to your wives. It depends on how willing we are to apply these words. So there's an essential internal quality that God's looking for here in a wife toward her husband and an essential internal quality that God expects of a husband toward his wife. The Bible says God will bless. God will bless. Look in verse 1. I want you to notice, first of all, the charge. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands. To your own husbands. Now notice, wives, uh, you're not responsible. My wife's not responsible to be in subjection to Birch. He's not responsible to be in subjection to Mervyn or Peter, etc. Here, My wife is responsible to me, her own husband. And ladies, you're responsible to be in subjection to your own husband. There's a, there's a charge there, be in subjection. Well, what does that mean? Because a lot of times we hear these words and, and, and we, we, we load things onto them. What does that mean? 
Well, first of all, before we get there, I want you to understand the potential of this charge. Look at the potential here. That, if any obey not the word, husbands obey not the word, they're unbelievers, they also may, without the word, be won by the conversation or the conduct of the wives. So, Peter says this, your your wives, your husband may be a believer, he may be an unbeliever. But I want you to understand that if he's a Babylonian, if he's an unbeliever, that God can use your lives to testify to the truth and validity of the gospel of Jesus Christ with a power that is displayed. In Roman times, when you were married, wives, you would take your husband's gods as your own. And if you as a wife had come to the Lord Jesus Christ after your marriage, there was going to be a little bit of shaking there. Not shaking in the relationship of the marriage as far as severing it, but understanding that your gods are not my gods anymore. My God is the one true God. And you can see the position that a wife would be who would come to know Jesus and, now, and married now to an, to an unbeliever here. And Peter sees this position here as a remarkable opportunity to bear witness to Jesus. To bear witness to Jesus. He says that a properly submitted spirit here, God can use as a powerful spiritual influence of a home. Now that does not mean this, that you, that a, that a, that a Christian wife just gives in to her unsaved husband in order to subtly manipulate him to Jesus. That's not what this is talking about here. Warren Wearsby says this, An unsaved husband will not be converted by preaching or nagging in the home. The phrase without the word does not mean without the word of God, because salvation comes through the word. It means without talk, without a lot of speaking. Wives who preach at their husbands only drive them farther from the Lord. Now it's one thing to share the gospel with your husband. It's another thing to keep doing it in a nagging way here. And what Peter is saying here is that there is a, there is a, 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 a life that needs to be lived in line that will show the beauty of the gospel. Here. Notice the manner of the charge. If that was the potential of the charge, the manner of the charge is this. He says, they may, without the word, be won by the conversation or conduct of the wives while they behold your, your chaste or your pure conduct Coupled with fear. Respect is the word here. In other words, these qualities here of an inner heart are not something you manufacture. They are the fruit of the Spirit that come when we're submitted to Christ and the one other. And a Christian wife, with purity and reverence, will reveal in her life the goodness, the praises of God and influence her husband. And here's the Spirit behind it. Verse 3, Who's adorning? Let it not be vanity. You're dressing up. Let it not be that outward adorning of plating or braiding the hair, of wearing a gold or putting on apparel. Roman women used to basically have contests to outdo the other here in the way they looked. And Peter says, that's not helpful. That's not where your focus needs to be. Because that's just attracting attention to you. Your job is to attract attention to Jesus. But, he says in verse 4, let it be the hidden man of the heart and that which is not corruptible. All that other beauty might be taken away, right? Not this beauty. 
even the ornament of a meek and quiet spirit, which in this, is in the sight of God of great price. That quiet and and uh, and um, meek and quiet spirit here. That word meek is the idea of gentle, someone who is considerate and unassuming. It doesn't mean they don't have great strength. It means um, that they they are 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 not broadcasting their strengths here. That idea of a quiet spirit is not someone who just walks around like a mouse with their lips zipped. What it means is an inner heart of tranquility, a heart that is at calm, that is at uh, that is calm and at ease in a variety of circumstances. Steadiness here. That word that's adorning there is the word cosmos in the Greek, and it's where we get our word cosmos, the, the ordered universe, and also the word cosmetic. Cosmetic. It's the opposite of chaos, right? When you, when you put on your makeup, you're trying to hide the chaos, right? <laughs> Peter is warning the Christian wife not to major on external decorations, but on the makeup of the heart here. Internal character. Roman women were captivated by the fashions of the day, right? And, and, and would try to uh, impress each other. And moms and daughters. This is, these are things that are, are supposed to be part of your, your training up your, 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 your daughters in, right here. That, that uh, uh, what really matters here is, is the beauty of the heart beneath the shell of what God's given you. And so a Christian wife with an unsafe husband might be tempted to think she's got to imitate the world if she's going to win her mate. But what Peter is saying here is glamour is artificial and external. True beauty is real and, and, and eternal. And if you're cultivating the beauty of the inner person, you're not going to have to depend on the cheap externals here. God is concerned about values, not prices, in other words. Now, that doesn't mean, husbands, you can't rejoice that your wife is attractive. But you should rejoice even more that that beauty in her comes from within the heart, not the store. So there is a deep and growing beauty here that Peter sees here uh, as God's vision here of a woman who trusts the Lord that will have an effect on her husband and her spiritual beauty will be precious in the sight of God. Notice uh, here that the, the, the good conduct here stems and is rooted in their relationship with God. One commentator says this, Wives do not submit in order to satisfy a husband's vanity or to promote his reputation. Neither do they submit to show how godly they are, nor to avoid conflict, nor to impress the neighbors, nor to manipulate their husbands, and not even because she thinks it's wise. She submits because of her relationship and trust in God. Look what he says in verse 5. Her after this manner... In the old time, the holy women also who trusted in God adorned themselves being in subjection to their own husbands, even as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, whose daughters you are, as long as you do well and are not afraid with any amazement. That word amazement is fear, a proper reverence. And here's the example. You may say, this is impossible, and yes it is, until there is a renewing in your mind and your thinking. And the renewing in your mind and your thinking is this. I fear God, and I hope in God above all other things. And all these things begin to settle out. I might have an, a less than ideal situation here. And by the way, we're not talking about situations where people are being abused. If you're being abused, you need to come for help. 
We're not talking about people who are just enduring abuse um, from their husbands here to just say, well, I'm just going to sit and take it. There needs to be some boundaries that need to be set up. So please don't misunderstand that. But what we're saying here is that the example that God gives us, Sarah here, she's a specific example. She, she, she walks in line with Abraham and recognizes him as the head of their household, but she's putting her hope in God. Putting her hope in God. And she addresses him here uh, as Mr. Abraham. As the example here. Now, ladies, it's not telling us that we have to address our husbands as my wife has to address me as Mr. Bickle. All right? What it is saying there is that there's, a, there's an appropriation here of respect that she understands with the, with the design here. And it's not a slavish sort of thing here. And so that's the idea here for the, for the wives. But what about the, the husband? So wives who are to thrive in Babylon must cultivate a heart that finds peace and hope and joy in the Lord ultimately. And we have some wonderful, amazing testimonies of wives, even in this room, who may live in less than ideal circumstances here, who have rested and anchored their feet in the hope of God and enables them to navigate even difficult relationships. And then I want you to notice the charge for the husband. If the wife is the thermometer of the home, the husband must be the thermostat here. Look what is said in verse 7. Likewise, in the same manner, your husbands dwell with them, your wives, according to knowledge. Giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together, the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered here. By the way, gentlemen... And nowhere says in Scripture that you're to tell your wife she's to submit to you. It does tell you that you're to live in a way and honor that is worthy of that respect. And there's a big difference. And if you have to tell your wife to submit, you might want to question the way you're living first. Um, the humble submission here of wives is complemented here by the husbands to exercise humble and gentle shepherding authority there. Husbands should live together with wives that are informed by the knowledge of what God understands. In other words, husbands, here's your role. If we're going to boil it down to this, this is words on the screen. Husbands, your job is to set your wife up for success. Lord Jesus is a wonderful example of this, isn't he? He serves so that others go beyond. He serves them so they go beyond. That knowledge here that Peter talks about may include any knowledge Uh, whether it's the Word of God and understanding the structures of knowledge or knowledge of your wife and who she is as a person, the idea is knowledge that will be beneficial for the relationship. Dwell with them according to that. There's a manner of the charge here. He says, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife. Giving honor to the wife. There's a manner here of the charge. Giving honor to the wife. Uh, Appreciate, help, Set her up for success. Don't squelch her. See her the person that God made her to be. And there's a spirit here in this charge as well. The idea of man in Genesis chapter 2.23, Adam, the Hebrew word is an idea of strength. The idea of woman is a softness. A softness. And is it not in Christ that you see a beautiful blend of strength and tenderness here? That God tells men in their strength to use that strength to strengthen their wives? That's what it takes to be 
a husband here in this passage who is setting his wife up for success, loving his wife as Christ loved the church, treating his wife like an expensive, beautiful vase in which is a valuable treasure. Peter uses a word in chapter um, uh, 3, verse 7, Dwell them according to knowledge, giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessels, being heirs together, grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. He uses a word that um, in chapter 2, verse 7, is, is translated as preciousness, preciousness, honor. Giving honor, giving preciousness to her. Recognizing her her design in marriage. So she is one of God's precious and holy people as well. And notice finally the reason for the charge, husbands. Okay? You're given the headship, the head of the household. Wives, there is an equality here though as well. Look what he says in verse 7. As being joint heirs, heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. There is a spiritual privilege and an eternal importance that you both as husband and wife share together, joint heirs. And the Bible says if you fail to give that honor, that preciousness to your wife, your fellowship with your wives will suffer, but also your fellowship with God will suffer. Your prayers will be hindered. That's a very strong word and it means that when they will be blocked, they will lose their effectiveness. Your home is to be a temple where you approach God in the worship of a holy priesthood offering up spiritual sacrifices of the goodness of God. And marriage here is a relationship that God has designed to mirror the love of Christ for the church and the church of Christ. And so concerned is God that Christian husbands live in an understanding and loving way with their lives that He will interrupt His fellowship with them when they are not doing so. Verse 7. No Christian husband should presume to think that any spiritual good will be accomplished by his life without an effective ministry to her. Bestowing honor on her. And so, these passages ask us a few questions. Are we partners or competitors? Are we both helping each other? And these marriages here become more spiritually minded. Are we depending on externals or internals? Artificial or real? Do we understand each other better? Are we sensitive to each other's feelings and ideas? Or do we take each other for granted and just put up with each other? Are we seeing God work and answer? Are we enriched in your role, in your design? Are you enriched in your marriage design? Or are you robbing the other of God's blessings? Why can these verses be applied? Look in verse chapter 2, verse 21. Here's the Lord Jesus who lays down His life for the good of others, who sets us up, and this is the understatement of the day, for success. For even here too were you called because Christ also suffered for us leaving us an example that you should follow His steps. Who committed, did no sin, neither was guile or deceit found in His mouth. Who, when He was reviled, when people spoke unkindly to Him, didn't revile back again. When He suffered, He didn't strike back, threaten not, 
but entrusted, committed himself to him that judges righteously, who his own self bore our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, being dead to sin, should live to righteousness, by whose stripes you were healed. For you were, as sheep going astray, but are now returned to the shepherd and bishop, overseer of your souls. Let's look to Jesus in our relationships, specifically in our marriages. Let's pray. We'll have our deacons come as I pray, and we'll take part and celebrate what the Lord has done to bear our body on the tree, to heal us by His stripes, and to give us a righteousness.